الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد recapping what we covered yesterday we covered uh, contentment with divine decree which is uh, being pleased with what Allah Ta'ala has decreed we mentioned that there's different stages of there's different responses of a believer to the decrees of Allah Ta'ala so one response is that you uh, th- sorry there's two appropriate responses one response is that you accept that this is Allah's decree and you bear it with patience uh, despite the fact that it's uh, disturbing or unsettling for you on the inside and the higher response which is a little bit more difficult uh, in most circumstances is to be content with Allah's decree so your your desire is actually that you know this is from Allah so I'm actually happy with what Allah Ta'ala has given me so this is the higher state uh, as we learned from hadith um, then we talked about how there's different reasons that a person can be content with Allah Ta'ala's decree one is that a person has a love for Allah Ta'ala that's so powerful so that he recognizes that anything that comes from Allah Ta'ala I love my Allah because I love my Allah I am content with whatever Allah Ta'ala has decided for me a second reason for contentment is because of reward in the hereafter because we know that people that undergo difficulties in this world their reward is beyond our imagination in the hereafter so then a person can say that I am content because I know that through this test my Allah Ta'ala is going to reward me immensely in the akhirah and then the third reason that a person can be content is because they appreciate that Allah Ta'ala has a wisdom that's beyond any wisdom that we can understand. So in that, from that standpoint, a person thinks that I'm content. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala knows what's best for me. And uh, if Allah Ta'ala knows what's best and he, only, he does what's best, then I'm content. What do I know? So we give the example of Musa Al-Islam Khadr Al-Islam in that interaction. We give the example of examples of Sahaba who had basically uh, engaged in sin and that being a way for the rest of the community to learn, uh, so they, so we, so, so we recognize that there is, there is, there's wisdom beyond what our understanding was. And then, lastly, we talked about how being content with Allah Taala's decree does not preclude participating in this world and in the manners that have been taught by the Sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu So those manners include but are not limited to making dua, seeking medical help, uh, relying on people, uh, and things of that sort. Um, so we mentioned that those are, these are not precluded by contentment with Allah Ta'ala's decree. Um, okay, so the last section that we'll cover, inshallah, uh, is the tenth principle, the tenth praiseworthy trait that we should seek to bring into our life, and that is the remembrance of death, dhikr al-mawt is the section it's a very lengthy section as actually were a few of these chapters so we're just going to read a few parts um, and then take some lessons from it and conclude but the goal is not to go from cover to cover here either so this is the last section of this uh, series and this is also the last section of his book as well so uh, remembering death Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Know that the nine stations we have mentioned are not on a single level. So, so far we've covered nine stations. Know that the nine stations we have mentioned are not on a single level, meaning they're not equivalent to each other. Rather, some of them are sought after in and of themselves, 
like love and contentment, for indeed both of them are at the highest level. So remember we mentioned this before too, that some of these praiseworthy traits, we are seeking the trait itself. So we are seeking love and we are seeking contentment. And this is actually the end goal of what we're seeking. This is not a means to some secondary goal. So the love for Allah Ta'ala is a goal for the believer. Being content with Allah Ta'ala's decree is a goal for the believer and that's the end goal. Um, and some of them are sought after for something else like repentance, tawbah, asceticism, zuhud, fear, khawf, and patience, sabr. Repentance is returning from the path. So then he gives a reason for these. So this is actually a nice recap for us as well. Repentance is returning from the path of remoteness to the path of nearness. That's the definition of repentance, right? In a nutshell, is that a person through their own transgressions or through their own weaknesses, either mistakes or shortcomings, they had turned away and they have distance themselves from Allah Ta'ala and Tawbah is a mechanism by which a person essentially and then and then and repentance is that opportunity where a person is able to draw back near to Allah Ta'ala so it's returning from the path of remoteness to the path of nearness and remember that repentance Tawbah is something that we should perform regularly uh, okay then he said asceticism Zuhud is abandoning all that distracts okay sorry let me go back so repentance Tawbah is not a goal the goal is nearness to Allah repentance is the means and bringing repentance so then he said, so Tawbah is not a end goal, it's simply a means, uh, and the end goal is actually nearness to Allah Ta'ala, proximity, qurb, zuhud, asceticism, is abandoning all that distracts from closeness to Allah. So the uh, zuhud in and of itself is not a goal, it's, a, it's, it's sort of an exercise, it's a state that you try to achieve so that you can meet this goal, and the goal of zuhud is what? That you remove all distractions that are other than Allah, so that you can focus on Allah Ta'ala alone. So the goal is again nearness and closeness to Allah Ta'ala. Fear is a whip that drives the slave to abandoning all distractions. Uh, so hope of Allah Ta'ala is not a goal in and of itself. It's not a goal in and of itself. Um, sabr, patience, is a struggle with those desires that cut one off from the path of nearness. If a person exhibits sabr, then that's the path of nearness. You're drawing closer to Allah Ta'ala through your patience, but sabr in and of itself is not the goal. So, uh, mahabba and rida bil qada. These are goals. And the other ones that we had covered, tawbah, zuhud, khawf, sabr, these things are not goals, they're just simply means to something that's greater, which is basically the nearness to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. So he says, none of that is sought in itself. Rather, what is sought after is nearness, and that is through knowledge and love. For it is sought after in and of itself, not for something else. Nearness is not completely attained except by cutting off love of anything other than Allah Ta'ala from the heart. It requires fear, patience, and abstinence for that reason. Okay, so this is a very deep point he's mentioning. That... If a person wants to develop proximity to Allah, and that's really the reason that we're all trying to strive during this month, that's the reason that we've all committed ourselves to the masjid during these last few days, nearness to Allah Ta'ala is a goal. And he's saying that it's not completely attained except by cutting off love of anything other than Allah Ta'ala from the heart. So the way that our, our teachers explain this principle is that the heart is like a vessel and there's only space for, uh, and, 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 and it's not a shared space. You can have the love of something else in that vessel or the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that heart. But both cannot coexist. You know, the love of Allah ta'ala is not compatible with the love of anything of this dunya. 
Now you can say, what about the love of the Prophet that comes under the love of Allah Ta'ala? But the love of Allah Ta'ala is not compatible. You cannot, you cannot place these in the same vessel, which is the heart. So there's two things we learn from that. Number one is that if the love of Allah Ta'ala is, so if the love of the dunya or things of this world are in our heart, and there's different ways by which you can gauge that, right? We've talked about this. But if the love of dunya is within our heart, then it's not practical for the love of Allah Ta'ala to also be in there. It's one or the other, okay? That's the first point. The second point that we, that, that we take from this also is that because the two cannot coexist, one always exists. Which means that if a person desires that the love of Allah Ta'ala enter into their heart, a way by which they can do that is simply by removing the love of this dunya. So that removes, and it's like a vacuum. It has to be filled with something else, and so the love of Allah Ta'ala then comes. So this is the reason that he mentioned, for instance, a person who sins and transgresses against Allah Ta'ala, their heart is essentially filled with the love of the dunya. Now when they do tawbah, what they're basically doing is that tawbah is extracting the, whatever from the dunya is from their heart. What's being replaced is nearness to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. Right? And the same thing with uh, with Zuhd, for instance, that if a person's indulging in the aspects of this dunya, they're taking them away from Allah, if they remove those things, then the love of Allah Ta'ala will naturally fill. So it isn't, it's an attainable goal, and it's very practical. But recognize that this is the nature of the heart. These two things cannot coexist. Among the most immensely beneficial affairs is remembering death. For this reason, we have come to it here, and Revelation has emphasized the reward for remembering it. Meaning, this is not, uh, this is this is from Wahi. Through it, love of the world is spoiled, and the heart's attachment to it is cut off. Okay, so we just mentioned that the heart is a vessel, and it can it can contain love for the dunya, or it can contain love for Allah Taala, but not both. So what's the easiest way, or what's a principal way by which we can extract that love for uh, the dunya from our hearts through death, meaning the remembrance of death. Uh, so Allah Ta'ala said, Say, verily, the death that you are fleeing from you will most certainly meet you. The death that you are fleeing from will most certainly meet you. You know, it's so interesting Allah, the terminology Allah is using, you know. I think we actually talked about this a few nights ago That things that are repulsive to us We tend to run away from Things that are attractive to us We tend to that, That's the definition of attraction uh, And so for most people What's repulsive is death And most people are seeking to run away from death And people are In general human beings And this is since the beginning of time Human beings are not comfortable Appreciating their own mortality there's this desire to be immortal so there's this there's this natural fear or repulsion from death that causes you to run away now taking that keeping that in mind Allah Ta'ala's response to that is what that you can run as far as you want to go you can hide wherever you'd like to hide but whatever what that one thing that you're trying to hide from it will absolutely meet you no one will escape from this no one will escape from this no one has ever escaped from this People have escaped in this world from torment, from disease, from poverty. People have escaped from these things through means, you know, that that they've that they've uh, uh, that they've uh, established for themselves, or that Allah Taala has established for them. But the one thing that no one has been ever been able to escape has been death. It's not possible. So Allah Taala says, "It you will meet it. Don't don't try to run away. If it's coming, it's going to come, and you're going to have to meet this." 
So in another hadith, in another verse, Allah Taala says, Wherever you may be, death will come and it'll grip you. It'll uh, grasp you. It'll take hold of you. Right? And he says, kuntum fi Even if you're trying to hide in like in tall and fancy towers, even if you're trying to hide in you know very high, tall places or spaces, you could be on the top of a mountain. You could be at the top of the world's tallest building. The this is Allah's world. The angel of death will find you wherever you are. It'll grab you. And wherever in the sense of we don't know where it's going to be either. Right? We think of death as something so remote, we don't know where it's going to occur. In fact, there are there's very few things that are completely unpredictable in this world. Very few things that are fully unpredictable. And that one thing that's fully unpredictable, but, but, but one of the things that's fully unpredictable is our death. Meaning when it'll happen and where it'll happen. What's the most predictable thing in this world? Death. The most predictable is death. Everyone dies. There's no doubt about that. Yet the thing that is the most predictable has attached to it what's most unpredictable. And that is when and where. The fact that it's going to happen, everyone knows. Where and when it'll happen, nobody knows. Impossible to predict, no matter what technology you try to employ. Okay, to, to employ. Okay, so these are verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet said, Frequently remember the destroyer of pleasures. He, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Whoever hates to meet Allah, Allah ta'ala hates to meet him. Allah's Messenger وسلم, walked past a gathering in which people were laughing loudly. Allah's Messenger وسلم, said, Mix your gatherings with remembrance of the spoiler of pleasures. It was asked, What is that? He وسلم, said, Death. You know, it's in, in a couple of places in hadith, the Prophet وسلم, describes death as that thing that destroys pleasures. When you remember death, those challenges that you face, meaning the desires that you have within you, they become somewhat controlled because you recognize a few things. Number one is that there's a torment that's waiting for me afterward, after I die. Okay, so that's one way by which desires are destroyed. And the other way by which desires are destroyed is that, well, okay, if I, I recognize that there is a death and this world is just temporary anyway, and I know that the hereafter is where I'm supposed to indulge in desires, and let me bypass the desires of this world so that I can engage in them in the hereafter, rather than engage in them in this world at the expense of losing them in the hereafter. So that's the other way by which, you know, desires are destroyed. Okay, Mawazali says, The benefits of remembering death and the way to think about it. Know that death is immense and terrifying. Okay? Know that death is immense and terrifying. And what comes after it is even greater than it. Right? That the sakarat of maut, the difficulties of death, they're real. And they come to everyone. In fact, even the Prophet ﷺ at the time of his death had, had admitted to this. Right? And then Mawta al sakarat that, that verily death has its difficulties. Verily death happens. He who is saying this. So if the Prophet ﷺ is not spared from the difficulties of death, then most human beings, if not, no human being is going to be spared from it. So he says that know that death is immense and terrifying and what comes after it is even greater than it meaning it's it's there's a lot more to come the day of judgment has its own associated uh, fear uh, of course uh, the slirat has its own 
test and fear associated with it, that when we're standing before the scales and our deeds are going to be weighed against our sins, that has its own fear associated with it. You know, the torment of waiting for the day of judgment to start, that has its own associated, you could say, fear and, and terror. Um, uh, and then, and then, yes, exactly, barzakh as well. I mean, there's every single stage. Death is just the beginning, is what he's saying. And then the, uh, of course, if, if, if may Allah protect us, but if any of us end up, if you have to end up in Jahannam, then that's beyond anything before that. Okay, so he's saying death is just the, basically the beginning. There is a huge benefit in remembering it. Okay, so he's making it very clear because we might think, well, what? Why would I want to remember something so terrifying? <laughs> right? Like, I try, if I if it's repulsive and I want to run away from it, why should I try to remember it actively? There is a huge benefit in remembering it, for indeed it spoils the world and makes it loathsome to the heart. And loathing is it, uh, loathing. It is the head of every good deed, just as loving is surely the head of every sin. So what he's saying is that the benefit is it spoils this world for us. You know, no matter how comfortable we are in this world. And no matter how pleasurable this world may be for us or how much we indulge in our desires in this world, a person that remembers death, it destroys those desires and it makes this world in general distasteful for us, loathsome. It's, it's not, we, don't, we, don't, we don't pursue it. We don't desire it. And he says, And loathing is, in this, is at the head of every good deed, just as loving is surely at the head of every sin. And this is off of hadith of the Prophet that he said, dunya kulli That at the head of every, that, that, that the love of this world is the root cause, you can say. It's the root cause of every single evil. Meaning, thinking that we're going to be here forever. Meaning, the flip side would be what? To remember death. Because that is going to suppress this love of this world and as a result, suppress sin. Um, the Gnostic, the Arif, has two benefits in remembering it. The first of them is aversion to the world. The other is longing for the half afterlife. For indeed, the lover <coughs> inevitably yearns. So there's two benefits. One is that it creates an aversion for this world, if you remember it actively. And then number two, it actually creates a longing for the afterlife. And I think we'll talk about that. Uh, when, let, me read this, let me read this paragraph and then we'll go over that. The other is longing for the afterlife. For indeed, the lover inevitably yearns. Meaning, the pinnacle of belief is to have love for Allah Ta'ala in your heart and Allah Ta'ala being our beloved, our mahbub and the lover yearns to meet their beloved and the only way by which we can meet our beloved is through death the meaning of yearning in regards to sensory things is to fulfill the imagination through rising through to direct witnessing indeed the object of yearning is inevitably perceived in the imagination, yet absent from sight. The states of the afterlife and its luxuries, and the beauty of the divine presence, are all perceived by the Arif, who knows them as if he is looking through a thin curtain just before the sun rises when the light is weak. He, or she, yearns for its fulfillment through manifestation and direct witnessing, and knows that this is not to be except at death. Hence, he does not dislike death, because he does not dislike meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no reason for the, any for uh, any of the creation to turn to the world except little reflection on death. Okay, so uh, the believer, the true believer, who's love, in love with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, they're longing to meet Allah ta'ala. Right? I mean, this world is just uh, passing. There's trials, there's tribulations. Anytime you... Uh, 
get something good, it comes with something bad. Anytime you try to please people, it comes with some ramifications ultimately. This isn't, there's no permanent happiness here. Although we think there is, and although we pursue it, and we actually live our lives like there's some sort of permanent happiness, we move and travel across the world uh, for in, in the pursuit of happiness, there's no real true happiness here. That's just the nature of this world. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, وَاتَّقُوا يَوْمًا تُرْجَعُونَ فِيهِ إِلَى اللَّهِ that be mindful, be cognizant, have taq, uh, have uh, have uh, have cognizance of the day in which you will return to whom? To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, part of that is a fear because we're fearful of how we live this world and a shyness that comes with meeting Allah. But then there's also this component of yearning and love to finally meet that Allah Ta'ala that really has taken care of us our entire life. You know, it's like it's like it's like having a parent that brought you into this world and then you're somehow separated from them for 20 or 30 years and then you find out that they're actually alive you know the yearning that goes into that like you really want to meet them especially you know it was not their fault you were separated you really want to meet them you know or let's take it put it this way you know some people when they're uh, when they're you know two or three years old they love they, they lose their parent or when they're five or six they have some early memories of their parent and Allah Ta'ala takes their parent away from them and the whole their whole life they're just thinking about when am I going to be able to see my parents again in the akhirah it's possible you lose your spouse you know you're thinking uh, there's this longing to be reconnected it's not possible in this world You'll re- you will reconnect with, inshallah in jannah now, in the same way that you have that sort of yearning and desire, and that actually alleviates some of the difficulties of death. I mean, if you ask someone who's lost a spouse, for instance, you know, they're less fearful of leaving this world. Why? Because they want to be reconnected with their loved one. Now, that's the love between a husband and a wife, or maybe a parent and a child. The love between a believer and Allah Ta'ala is actually much deeper and much stronger. And we've been separated and distanced from Allah Ta'ala for the whole time we've been here. And we're just waiting to reconnect, to, to meet Him once again. You know, before we talked about this in one of the night sessions that the believer, we, were, we had all uh, witnessed Allah Ta'ala in some way, shape, or form in the past. Right? In Alam al Arwah, before our soul was breathed into our body, and we stood before Allah Ta'ala and we said, Allah Rabbikum, that yes, Ya Allah, you are our Lord. I mean, I don't have a memory of that. There's some amnesia, but. I wonder what that experience was like. And uh, then we were placed into this world, and then we were distanced from our Allah for 60 or 70 or 80 years, or some people 15, 20 or 30 years. There's a longing of wanting to reconnect with Allah Ta'ala again so that we can experience permanent happiness. And so that's why he says, he does not dislike death, meaning the believer, because he does not dislike meeting Allah Ta'ala. We talked about this the hadith of the Prophet where he said Tuhfatul Mu'mini al that the gift of the believer is death. The gift is of the believer is death. How is death a gift for the believer? There's two ways. We talked about one of them, the other we didn't. One way is that this world is a prison for the believer, right? Adunya Sajinul Mu'mini wa Jannatul Kafiri. And for the for the someone who doesn't believe this is a Jannah. You do what you want, eat what you want, see what you want, play with what you want, do whatever you want. Right, so this is a jannah for you, but it's uh, a sijin, it's a prison, it's an inca- it's a it's a cage for the believers, because you can't do what you want to do. You're restricted, and anytime you do, you're just you still feel restricted. Right, there's this guilt in your heart. So, 
when a person uh, leaves this world, they're finally, that, that imprisonment has, uh, they're no longer imprisoned. Now they're free to do what they want in Jannah. Okay, another reason that the gift for the believer is death is because the purpose of this world is to leave this world in a state of Iman. If you were to sum it up in one sentence, the ultimate purpose in this world is to leave this world in a state of Iman. So what happens is some people are born with Iman, some people are given Iman while they're here in this world. Now the challenge is to basically hold on to that Iman before you leave this world. Just hold on to it. You know, there's going to be ups and downs, there'll be bumps in the road, there'll be times where you will openly and maybe uh, in close spaces transgress against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaitan is constantly attacking us. And we see people coming into this world with Iman and then leaving this world without a state of Iman. So the perp, the ultimate goal, and قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَنْ شَهِدَ أَلَّا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلِيهِ النَّارِ That the person who leaves this world and believes in Allah for that person is Jannah. And the person who believes in Allah and believes in Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the fire is forbidden upon them. So, that means that I have to get from point A to point B. A meaning the time I became Balagh or the time that I entered into a state of Iman. B being the time of death. If I can make my sole goal in life to just hold on to my Iman until I leave and prevent or protect myself from the attacks of Shaitan that are constantly trying to take away my Iman from me and I can reach death, I've now succeeded. Meaning, the ultimate test in life, which is preservation of your faith, that test is now done once you leave this world. That test is complete. You've passed. And passing that test is better than passing any other test in this world. So we find solace in death because if we leave this world in a state of iman, then alhamdulillah, I've passed the test. You know, maybe I'll have to face Allah Ta'ala for my sins. And maybe there'll be a little bit of torment involved. But at least I know my eternity is Jannah. Right After those difficulties I incur At least I know my eternity is Jannah Whereas while I'm still alive in this world I don't have a guarantee I don't know if I'm going to leave this world in a state of Iman No matter how much of a muttaqi I may consider myself today The fact that I spent Ramadan fasting Praying Tarawih prayer Sitting in Atikaf And I may think that I'm a somebody I don't know There are people who were better than me in the past That were better than me And they left this world without Iman And what it was utter is it ultimately just failure for them so they failed this one important test. So when is the test complete? The time of death. So as a result, death is actually the gift for the believer in the sense that you no longer have to worry. Stop worrying. You don't have to const- you don't have to worry anymore. You've passed and you've left in a state of iman. So that's why the Prophet that's a, that, that's the other meaning for Tuhfatul Mu'mini al Mautu that okay, you've passed. So you use your you, what's your gift? How do you know you've passed? What's the diploma that says that you've passed? It's that you've it's death because you've left this world in a state of iman. And so we use this also to find solace. Sometimes we lose loved ones and we're worried about sins that they performed. We're worried about there's sadness involved in general with them leaving this world. We're worried about all these things. But if that person left in a state of iman, then we find solace that you know what? Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has now given my mother, given my father, my my grandparents, my children, whoever is passed, Allah has given them their hid their gift, alhamdulillah. And that's death for them You know Inshallah Allah will show his mercy And he'll He'll put them in Jannah But at least they passed this test And death was their Their gift in the process Okay Does that make sense? The path to thinking About it Meaning thinking about death 
about it requires that a person empties their heart of every thought beside it, sits in seclusion, and pursues remembering death earnestly in their heart. He should first reflect on his friends and peers that have passed, remembering them one by one, remembering their ambitions, their hopes, and their reliance upon status and wealth. Then he should remember fin their final moments at death and their sorrow over a lifetime lost and squandered. So he, what he's saying is that when you sit down, and when one of the first things that you should do when you sit down and reflect upon death is think about people that have passed. Think about loved ones that have passed. Think about your friends and family. Think about just people in general that have passed. What that helps you do is it helps rem remind you that these people were just like me. There's no difference. You go to the graveyards, and this is one of the recommended, this from the Sunnah, the Prophet to visit the graveyards uh, because it benefits us. That time of reflection and contemplation is extremely beneficial because what it does is it tells you all of these people that were in here, that are in these graves, or that are in my mind, if I'm sitting down in seclusion and thinking, they were just like me. They had these dreams, they had ambitions, they tried to earn a living, they pursued happiness in this world, they married, they had children, they had families, they engaged in recreation. I mean, they're just like, they're just like I was. And none of them are, none of them are here anymore. You know, I, I say this often, and I'll say it again, but we think sometimes like these gatherings that we're in right now they're, they're a very special gathering alhamdulillah there were people you know 300 years ago that were sitting exactly the way we're sitting right now having the same hopes and ambitions and dreams and du'as they're not here anymore and 300 years from now or 100 years from now none of us will be here either right there's just this, this, this is the cycle of the world Allah Ta'ala it's like a, we're basically just at this uh, at an airport Right, and, and our flight is about to board Another flight is about to land The people that land are entering into this world They eventually make a connecting flight and they leave And we ourselves, we're just waiting to board Once we board, that's it Our, our, our history, then we're now history in this world So there's this constant flow of people in this world Allah brings people, takes them away in waves at a time Generations come, generations go Generations come, generations But no generation ever, stay, ever stays The passions and desires of each generation are the same Right? There's nothing unique about us. It doesn't matter what part of the world we live in. Doesn't matter how much wealth we have. Doesn't matter who, you know, who our family and friends and support systems are. Everyone's the same. Every human being has the same desires and ambitions, and every human being ultimately will leave. So now, Ghazali is saying, think about this. Think about people that have left this world. Think about what their lives were like. Is yours really any different? It's not. It's all the same. We're just gonna leave. So this helps drive within us um, uh, this sort of reflection. Uh, and remembrance of death, uh, it's beneficial for us. Um, okay. Okay. Let me. Let's just. Let's go to the, some points that we can take away, inshallah. Okay. So I'm just going to read this, just because I think there's benefit in it, and whoever can take something back from it can, inshallah. Know that these three types have an order. And what he's talking about is that there's different degrees and different orders of regret when it comes to the hereafter. Okay? Uh, different different stages, you could say, of regret. The first type encountered by the tormented dead person is the ordeal of being separated from desired things. This is the viper of loving the world. For this reason, it is related to the grave. Nevertheless, it comes beforehand because the majority of things in the dead person's heart at the time of death are what he leaves behind in terms of status, wealth, position, and luxury when he departs from this world. 
Thereafter, they had their repulsive spiritual realities exposed to them. So the first thing that a person will begin to reg will, will begin to experience once they leave this world is they'll begin to think about, oh my gosh, I left my wealth, I left my luxury, I've left everything. I'm, I've gone from a somebody to now an absolute no one. That's the first. Thereafter, they have their repulsive spiritual realities exposed to him. This occurs with the complete engulfment of death and the remoteness of the familiar veiling of worldly qualities. Here is what, where the humiliation of shame and disgrace is poured upon him. Hence, it is related to the resurrection because it is a middle ground between the grave and the permanent abode. So then that second degree is the day of resurrection where basically the experience on that time will be humiliation, shame, disgrace. Um, for this reason, Allah Ta'ala said, The a day when Allah Ta'ala will not humiliate the Prophet and those who believed with him. So for those of us that believe in Allah, our hope, our desire, and inshallah, our expectation is that Allah Ta'ala will not humiliate us for the sake of the Prophet He doesn't want to humiliate the Prophet We're just uh, guilty or I guess you could say innocent by association. Uh, that is the day of resurrection. As for the regret over the passing of beloved things, it is the last to overcome a person at the permanent abode in Jahannam. Therein he will say, Right, it comes in Arah. Give me, give us some water. Or some, some the people of Jahannam will tell the people of Jannah, give us what you have. You know, give us something. This is because remoteness from the familiarity of the world may lighten the torment of being torn from it and prolonged acquaintance with this revelation may entail the end of this disgrace. For the form of torment by disgrace is at the first strike. Thereafter, disgrace becomes somewhat customary. Then, with the languishing of disgrace, comes regret over the passing of a beloved things. For the magnitude of what has been missed becomes manifest. Finally, regret over the missed opportunity remains, and it likely has no end. In Jahannam, that's that's the place of regret and he says regret over the missed opportunity remains and it likely has no end you know we regret things in this world missed opportunities we often regret but very few people regret things until they take it to their grave you re usually regret things for a period of time and then that regret subsides um and ultimately, whatever we don't accomplish in this world and we pass away, there's no regret in terms of why didn't I get the job that I wanted? Why didn't I have the car that I wanted? Why didn't I have the relationships that I had desired? Those things are not permanent regret. When death hits us and we actually end up in our permanent abode, that's the time of regret. You know, it's like, The person who disbelieves will say, I wish that I was just dust. What regret? Right? I wish that I just was dust. Uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu used to say, he used to look at animals like a bird and say, I wish I were that bird so they don't have to be questioned. Right? So uh, that's the place of regret. And for people who, and even if the person in Jannah will look at the person above and say, had I done this form of dhikr, then I, had I just done that, I would have been at this higher station as well. Uh, in Jahannam in particular, the regret has no end. Okay, so let's just conclude here, inshallah. Um, as for the reality by which you are you, it does not perish with death at, all, death at all, only its state changes. Everything you knew from before, including your inner perceptions and your desires, stay with you. You are hurt only by departing from what you love, being disgraced by the appearance of what is revealed in the state, and by your regret over missing something, the magnitude of which is known only after death, not before. All of these are precursors to the actionable punishment, which is also true. Now, um... 
the reality of death comes down to this and that is that Allah Ta'ala takes us away whenever He wants to take us away our responsibility isn't to lament over or worry over when that's going to be we leave that to Allah as much as we try to run away from it Allah Ta'ala will bring it to us every hour approximately 6,000 people leave this world the angel of death visits 6,000 people every single hour 150,000 people in the world every single day leave this world and most of them we're not expecting it practically speaking our responsibility is to prepare now when it comes to remembrance of death one is by visiting the graveyards at some regular interval number one Number two is to attend the janazah prayer whenever possible because that's just reminds us of death. Number three is to sit in seclusion like Imam Ghazali mentioned and actively think about this. The best time to actually do this, I think, is before you go to sleep at night. Because what happens is that during the daytime and when there's light outside and when there's noise of people and noise in general, commotion, uh, it's, it's very difficult to clear your mind and imagine that you've left this world. Because as much as you try to, you're actually still here because you experience that commotion. But when the night goes down, sorry, when the, when the sun goes down and it's now dark outside and there's quietness that sort of has taken over and encompassed the earth, there's this pseudo-experience of leaving this world because the world has somewhat stopped. Now, when it's later at night and it's time for you to go to bed and you've put away all the distractions, children have gone to sleep, maybe other family members have gone to sleep and you actually lie down in a similar position to how you're going to lie down to rest forever this is a very this is an ideal time to remember death and think that you know what i'm going to lie down one day and i'm not going to wake up i'm lying down today and i'll probably wake up tomorrow but there'll come a day when i'm going to lie down and i will not wake up these few moments of reflection are very powerful because it encourages you to do tawbah for even if it's just a, even if it's just two seconds at that time when you're lying down of, of regret or not regret remorse with Allah that's tremendously beneficial the other ben- and so this is a, a time to do so Allah Ta'ala says Allah yatawaffal anfusa hina mawtiha wallati lam tamut fi manamiha that um, uh, Allah Ta'ala takes away the soul um at the time of death, the soul is separated from the body. And and uh, the person that doesn't pass away, it occurs while they're asleep. When we go to bed at night, our soul is separated from our body for a period of time. Now for most of us, that soul is then returned back to our body. And so Allah Ta'ala through His tawfiq keeps that heart beating. But for some people, Allah Ta'ala takes the soul away and He keeps it away. The heart stops. And then that's us leaving this world. So, but this is a very special time. Now, for us some, nowadays, it's very difficult to remove those distractions. We go to bed with our cell phone in our hand, essentially, right? But then you don't have those moments of contemplation because the last thing you're doing is you're checking your email or you're checking your, you know, your account online or whatever your text messages, and then you go to sleep. But ideally, the phone is away; it's not even in the room. When you're lying down in bed, you are lying down and imagining that you know what, I'm le- I'm leaving this world. It's a very powerful time of contemplation and it occurs on a daily basis. And now the Prophet said in the hadith that we mentioned that we should remember death abundantly. One hadith he actually said 10 to 20 times every single day. That would be the ideal. 
But at least if every single day, for some period of time, we can imagine death, or imagine that we've left this world, even once a day will be very powerful. The ideal time would be when? When we go to bed at night. Okay? Imagine what would the world be like when I leave? Right? What will my life be like when I leave? Okay. So let's just finish this last paragraph. I'll just read it, inshallah, and we'll, con- we'll conclude. So we will stop with this. Nambuzadi is saying, so... We will stop with this, thus completing the 40 principles and jewels of the Qur'an. Whoever seeks more than this should seek it from, quote, the book of remembering death, from the revival, from Ihya. For the overwhelming objective of this book is to suggest and incite a desire for the careful study mentioned therein. So he's just trying to spark this within us. You know, there's a lot more. We talked about this yesterday. This is just the beginning. This is not the end. Just as we conclude this, this is just the beginning. Be it through knowledge where you study his books even more or just study the books in general of our ulama and, 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 and uh, the teachings of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam or we spend time in the company of people that can guide us along this path. So for the overwhelming objective of this book is to suggest and incite a desire for the careful study mentioned therein. Through it, the secrets of the religious sciences are revealed and no one flees from seeking that except someone infatuated with the world. Meaning, those of us that love this world, we run away from this. But those of us that have a concern for Allah Ta'ala, uh, we seek it. Um, so, the secrets of the religious sciences are revealed, and no one flees from seeking that except someone infatuated with the world, who seeks from the sciences only what we what he can use as a net to catch worldly things, or a tool for acquiring the prohibited. And Allah Ta'ala has given us senses, He's given us intellect. People that are infatuated with this world will limit that intellect and those senses to the pursuit of understanding the sciences of this world but those of us that are concerned with more than that we use it as a tool to learning more about the akhirah and learning about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his messenger the sciences of that book are not suitable for him at all Allah ta'ala is sufficient for us subhanallah and the best to order our affairs let me read this again through it, the secrets of the religious sciences are revealed, and no one flees from seeking that except someone infatuated with the world, who seeks from the sciences only what he can use as a net to catch worldly things, or a tool for acquiring the prohibited. The sciences of that book are not suitable for him at all. Rather, Allah Ta'ala is sufficient for us, and the best, and the best to order our affairs. O Allah, bless our Master Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, his companions, and those who follow their excellent ways until uh, the ray of recompense. I mean, so we conclude, inshallah, with that section.